Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Stromsky, where every week I host a new guest with unique professions, personal adversity, or even maybe a strong opinion or two. And if you haven't hit the five stars review on Apple Podcasts, please hit it now before you forget. Running a podcast is a surprising amount of work, and more reviews converts into a wider range of future guests. Today, we have a remarkable guest who is revolutionizing the way we work. Joining us today is Dale Wheelahan, the visionary founder and CEO of Four Day Week Global. Their mission? To introduce a radical concept that is capturing the attention of businesses and employees worldwide, the four-day work week. In a world where the traditional 9-to-5 grind seems unyielding, four-day week global is challenging the status quo and presenting a compelling argument for change. They believe that by reducing the work week to four days, or reducing hours, we can unlock a whole new realm of productivity, creativity, and personal fulfillment. We'll hear firsthand from Dale about their company's journey and the challenges they face while implementing this audacious idea across diverse industries and cultures. Enjoy. Hi, Michael. Hey, how's it going? What what part of uh, New Zealand are, are you from? I'm actually from Dublin in Ireland. Oh, okay. Man, yeah. I should have known that just by the accent, but I never, you know, I don't know if you do this, but... Obviously, if a person's from Ireland, you can automatically tell. But like mm-hmm. as an as an American and like basic, when I say basic, I mean bland mayonnaise uh, accent. You don't ever like assume you think you know the uh, the accent of where the person's from because mm-hmm. you have no clue. And you're like, oh, it sounds British, but could it be like? And then you've got people. Is that a Cockney accent? You know what I mean? Like they can they can. Uh, like narrow it down to like the the exact region and stuff like that. I don't know if that's something you do. Uh, well, I, yeah, I suppose in Europe and stuff, I feel like I'm quite good at. I wouldn't. I'd be very poor at being able to pick up on massively different U.S. accents. Probably like New York, Boston, and maybe like more of the South. But beyond that, wouldn't know anything. Um, to be fair, to- that's that's like the only the ones you need to know in America. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not poo-pooing on other people, but those are like I don't know. If you want to get get crazy and know other ones, but there's like maybe two or three other ones that you could really point out unless you're from like you use specific words. Instead of soda, you say pop or I don't know, water or like like a Baltimore accent. People say uh Baltimore. They don't have the T in it. Merlin. Like I said, it, it it's not something you need to know or spend any time on whatsoever. So right now it's let me see, it's five thirteen and it's nine thirteen where you are. Ten thirteen. Okay, ten thirteen. Oh, thank you for staying up late. It is no, a uh, morning. Oh, oh, okay. That's weird because I looked it up. It said, yeah, it's it. it's ten thirteen. It's uh, it's nine thirteen in New Zealand at night. Okay, okay, I got you. Where you you got confused? So yeah, yes. half of my team are now. In bed, I hope. <laughs> gotcha. So l- let's get, let's dig into it. Why, what do you currently do in your profession? Yeah. So, well, first of all, thanks again for having me on. So I am CEO of Four Day Week Global and we're a not-for-profit agency um, based out of Auckland, uh, but have team uh, staff members across the globe in six different continents. And what we do is is run um, pilot programs across different countries, evaluating the effectiveness of reduced working time on on different uh, groups of people uh, and different continents and different countries. And um, as well as that, then we're trying to build the conversation more authentically around how working time has, you know, had a massive impact on, on businesses and on people and society. And trying to have a more authentic conversation around is the current ways of which we're working, working for us. Mm. And just to let everybody know, when he says Auckland, it's A-U-K-L-A-N-D, not Oakland, like the uh, California. Yeah. Um, My my best British, Auckland. Auckland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
So you're from Ireland originally. What brought you over to New Zealand? So I'm not uh, in New Zealand. I'm oh. In, yeah, I'm I'm in Dublin. Um, so I I think one of the common misconceptions, we are a New Zealand-based company, but we are okay. virtual. So we have oh, okay. 10 staff across six continents. So there's staff in Ireland, in London, California, Brazil, um, Auckland, and uh, Dubai and South Africa. So we that's are, crazy. You have a lot of good locations then. Pretty good. Yeah, it, it has to build this in a really global way, um, but can always be challenging from a, a a time zone perspective. Then trying to to get the team all together. You know. Oh yeah. That, I mean, with doing these interviews, it's always it, <laughs> it's so funny how familiar you get with time zones, and then you're like, can I swing it like a three a.m. for a really good interview? <laughs> what 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 made you get into it let's put it that way yeah I have a bit of a colorful career I actually originally studied physiotherapy or physical therapy as as you call it in America you can study that as an undergraduate so you don't have to do a doctorate um and so I practiced as as a physical therapist uh, or physiotherapist for a while and I actually went into a PhD program then exploring sleep deprivation and fatigue on surgeons. So really uh, off the scale, um, quite different to what my practical career before was that. Um, but I always had quite a big interest in, in psychology and people psychology within the workplace. And what became quite apparent to me was that how work is organized and culture and training and all these sort of things feed into very toxic behaviors within professionals um, and their relationship to work. And so surgeons are a really extreme example of that. You know, the, the, the average working hours of surgeons are well and above beyond the majority of the workforce. I think in the US, they're mandated to work a maximum of 80 hours a week. Um, even the fact that that is considered uh, a regulation, you know, necessity is, is insane. So I learned a huge amount over those years in my doctorate. Um, and really at the core of it, I realized that actually well-being is is what is driving a lot of the behaviors in work. So when people feel happy, you know, they tend to perform well within work. When they don't feel as happy, that's when it creates a ripple effect of incivility and poor culture within workplaces. And what often happens is when you complete a doctorate, no one thinks that you have any job experience. So I um, I made the move to corporate and I worked in human capital consulting in Deloitte then for under two years, uh, specializing in culture and behavior change. So I wanted to be able to marry some of the, the very theoretical background that I had before this into some more practical um, kind of change consulting and I got the opportunity, I suppose, to work with public and private sector bodies and understand what drives, you know, their organization's performance and behaviors, but always, you know, wanting to get myself back into a space of focusing on well-being and focusing on real interventions that are going to make a real impact on people's well-being. So I had been volunteering with what was a small campaign at the time in Ireland for a four-day week and providing some kind of academic support um, and advice on that campaign. And then a position became available to uh, to lead this four day week global organization in which I applied for. And I think between my my on the ground and, you know, having worked on in healthcare settings to having had a research background to also being a person who consulted uh, with, with leaders within organizations, I think that's given me a good holistic viewpoint now on how organizations are run. And so four day week global then I think complements all those things by bringing them all together in the auspice of reducing working time. So making sure that you're considering all those levels of the organization um, and how ultimately to to make their well-being better. And that that's across all, I guess. Well, I guess there's some stuff that you kind of have to combat if it's a from my research, I guess, depending on what the field is and I guess what the region is, you kind of have to take it case by case sometimes, correct? That's what's so brilliant about this organization is that we're not hugely prescriptive about how this should work. And as we go into new territories, we're starting to understand that country's population uh, or that sector's uh, relationship with working hours. So you, we're just after partnering with Sweden um, 
and reduced working times have been something that have been in existence within Sweden for a, a long time. We always use the Nordic countries as the, you know, the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually much further along in the conversation of saying, well, we want a four day week. We work 35 hours. We want to get down now to staff only working Monday to Thursday or Tuesday to Friday. In other countries, then you take Ireland, the US, the UK, longer working hours are the norm. So actually, how do you get people maybe from 40 down to to 32 will look very differently. So you might reduce working hours across five days. You might have some staff taking Monday to Thursday, others taking Tuesday to Friday. um, And then some might actually accrue more leave um, that can be taken. So Mm -hmm. our main purpose is to reduce working time. How that works will be decided by the business leaders who ultimately decide to sign on to our pilots and we have seen so many different approaches to how that works and i think as we go into new territories we're starting to see bigger questions arise so in france for example they're looking to increase their pension age to six from 62 to 64 which would be coming more in line with the 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 average pension age in much of, of europe but there is a lot of ongoing resentment towards that increase in pension age so working hours is actually being very much tied up into that conversation we've spoken to a good few ministries from asia where birth rates are rapidly declining and they have seen correlational data to say that longer working hours is leading to lower population rates so could we actually stop that you know if if population decline is a huge issue for many economies could something like reducing working hours actually make a drastic change in that sort of space? Uh, and similarly, then one of the biggest issues we're facing in the world is you know the environment uh, and and trying to make meaningful interventions that are going to rapidly you know decrease our carbon footprint. And what we have found is that when people have sustainable well-being in work and outside of work, that they are much more likely to do more pro-sustainable behaviors. So they're much more likely to um, use more eco-friendly forms of transport to be more considerate uh, to the environment and to their society and so actually for what scientists have been for many years saying you know this does need to be led by individuals and organizations this may be the intervention that allows you know access to realizing the benefits of all those sort of other sustainable efforts Uh, equality is another huge one so we have issues of gender pay gap we have underrepresented groups within workplaces you know the the playing field is not level it's the male pale and stale has always you know uh, thrived in the current workplace and despite a lot of efforts you know we're still not closing that that equity gap within many workplaces and society so what we've actually been able to find is that we've only looked at one uh, spectrum of equality and that's gender to date and we will go into other ones uh, in future research but women disproportionately benefit from a reduced working um mandate similarly younger men are much more likely to take on childcare uh, or parenting responsibilities uh, so actually we're, we're finding all these newer bigger questions that now i don't think we ever would have anticipated 12 months ago so it's a really exciting time for for the movement and i with my small amount of research i what i was looking at is is it technically is most times is it a switch from obviously the five to eight hour days to the four to 10 hour days. Is that, is there like a, obviously it's different for every situation, but what do you see most common for like a four day schedule? So I think to make it clear, the four day week is the, is the catchphrase. It's the kind of hook. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. The, the, what we're trying to do is reduce working time in a meaningful way. And so we use a principle called 180-100, which is 100% pay, 80% time, 100% output. And that mm-hmm. allows employees to get some benefit through reduced working time and guarantees employers uh, a maintenance of or even improvement of productivity. So we don't actually like support compressed working, which is mm-hmm. what some people think of as a four-day week. That's, you know, a 40-hour week compressed into four days because that's not what the science would say is is the best way you know human attention i think is between 2.5 to 3 hours in any given day so you're only getting about 
that much productivity in any given day. So why spend seven more hours at work in that given day um, if it's not going to return any benefits for you? In fact, actually will probably increase your risk of burnout and, and inability to recharge for the next day. So what we actually do find then, if companies are trying to reduce working time, some will do what you think of as Monday to Thursday, close offices on Friday. That works really well in white collar jobs where you can you can package work in a deliverable format. And so something that was sent on a Friday is instead sent on a Thursday and you, you improve efficiencies all throughout the week to enable that to occur. Other organizations then, if you have a customer facing, you know, approach or that's an important part of your business model, you will keep the offices open five days a week, but you will you will split your staff. Some do Monday to Thursday, some will do Tuesday to Friday. Uh, so there's always someone there to answer customer queries. Uh, and then others will, you know, they can't close business on any given day. So they actually will reduce the, the working time um, across five days. So instead of finishing at five, they're finishing at 3.30, say, uh, five days across the week. And so that's the, there's the different methodologies that we're seeing organizations take in order to try and reduce their working hours. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's much better. Because what I was reading, I was like, this isn't really switching from like a... Uh... <laughs> The models, because in the U.S., I, there's a couple companies that I know they they do that during the summer, like during the summer months. Basically, they're off on Fridays, and they incorporate it. But I guess depending on the company, like you say, like it's a white collar company. I think it's the fact that I think the summer is the slow time for them, and they're probably um, in a better situation to do that. For example, when I was at university, I had the opportunity to do a schedule where it was Tuesday, Thursday classes. Like it was the perfect situation. I went, well, I thought it was the perfect situation. I went in at like 7 a.m. And then I was done with my classes at 4 p.m. And I was like, man, I get Monday, Wednesday and Friday off. It's amazing. But the thing is, I was I was like burned out on like right after like Tuesday and right after Thursday. It was like my Friday and Wednesday were trash too, just because I had worked all day. And I I totally get it. Cause when I was coming into this interview, I was like, Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's a slight shift in like the nine to five schedule from Monday to Friday, but this is so much better. And yeah, uh, I think a lot of it comes from, we have these deeply ingrained beliefs around work um, and that the 40 hour work week is, the perfect balance um and that that's because we've been doing it for 100 years so therefore it must be right right but the reality is that work has radically changed over the last 100 years so actually when i've always been really interested in the history of work um because and whether work is good for us or bad for us so I, I think it's a really interesting debate um you look at like pre-industrial eras, it was a lot of agrarian forms of work. People worked very close to their land. They produced means in order to, you know, um, to fulfill their own individual needs. And they worked with a huge amount of autonomy and flexibility. So for them, there was huge amounts of rest probably in, in throughout the day when it came to farming environments. And then they had maybe concentrated periods where they did a lot of, of heavy work. They also were in just naturally better environments, outdoors, connecting with nature, all these things that we know are good for people's health and well-being. They were also very physically active and maybe there wasn't as much cognition required, cognitive you know, reserve required in those sort of works. You then move to an industrial revolution era where uh, you had the emergence of these sort of management disciplines of science, you know, tailorism and people have, were put on service lines with particular tasks to do that were highly repetitive uh, they worked Monday to 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 Saturday. Um, they took their Sundays to go to the beach, but they all lived in houses or compounds close to factories. And then you had, you know, the gradual trade union workers' rights movement, which brought in the five day work week in conjunction with a scientific rigor that was showing actually longer working hours is increasing our you know, error rate. So people are, you know, getting their hands severed in machinery or, you know, people are falling asleep at the service line. So people began to see some of the, the biological mechanisms at play. Humans weren't machines. But we've also then since, the, particularly even since the 2000s, work has changed radically now from that very physical, repetitive sort of labour market to now a very cognitive knowledge transfer market. And so we do a lot more talking, a lot more thinking, um, and less 
maybe doing um, with our hands. So that means we need to we need to adapt um, our work patterns to model off our brain energy, not our physical energy. Uh, and our brain energy and our cognitive reserves deplete at a much quicker rate than your physical energy reserves. You feel that one of the strongest factors, I guess, in the last like 10 years, or I mean, you can make the argument 20 years, would be the mental health, I guess, drive that, I mean, I I, I don't know if your parents were like this, but my parents were like, well, we'll, we'll put it this way. Their grandparents were the type where they they both had six six kids and basically... I guess what their thought was, I just need to support the children. Whereas nowadays, um, having going to therapy is, is like going to, it's not like going to your general practice, but it's like going to like your eye doctor or going to, it's not, people don't wince at it anymore when you're saying you're going to a therapist. Do you feel like that's kind of driven or helped drive the four? I'm using quotes, four day work week. I mean, definitely it has normalized the conversation around well-being in a way that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago. I think, you know, you look at baby boomers, Gen X, they created terms like burnout. You know, they they're now coming towards you know the end of their careers and they're realizing a huge amount of regret um, in their lives. Um, but you also have this emergence of Gen Z who are completely disrupting work. So a lot of the guarantees that previous generations got, the American dream, work hard, you know, you will uh, earn your rewards. That's not guaranteed anymore. Um, in fact, constantly research is showing, definitely in Ireland research has shown that we're going to be worse off than our parents. Um, we might have better access to healthcare, all those sort of things, but the guarantees of which our, our parents got um, don't exist for us uh, to the same extent. So I think as a result of that, you have our generation looking for something different uh, from work. And, you know, generations upon generations have dealt with trauma in their lives and not resolved that trauma. So in many ways, millennials and Gen Zs are the first generation to try and end the cycle. So they are the ones who've gone to therapy and they're saying, you know, um, because some of the behaviors of of our of previous generations were just taken as acceptable and for granted, whereas now it's it's seen as unse- unacceptable and uncivil behavior within workplaces. So it's it's normal now for people to go to therapy and to resolve uh, any kind of uh, internal conflicts that they have in order to not allow themselves to present with poor behaviors in work and within society. So I think that's one of the main things that's driving it. Um. And as well as that, then, yeah, the, the emergence of social media and the normalization of conversation around mental health. I think we're still a long way of actually getting to to true, authentic conversations around mental health. We have this. We have this kind of uh, we're in a transition phase of kind of it's good to be aware of mental health, good to talk, but then we're not necessarily good at actually supporting people who who need help um, at any given time. And particularly if we move beyond, you know, something that's very um superficial maybe um or not superficial but transient anxiety or depression into people who actually have you know more long-standing issues um with their mental health we don't treat those people very well within society so i actually think we still have a long way to go we're definitely on the right path um and second to that then i think covid um covid was the hugest it was the biggest human experiment uh in work that we've ever had so people for many years have been you know, in an employee, employer-led uh, workplace, taking uh, control or with little control um, in their kind of own volitional behaviors. But COVID radically changed that. So people stepped away from that controlled environment and saw what was possible, um, realized the impact the work was having on their the mental health and well-being. And now we're in this kind of post-COVID uh, return to work kind of space. Even that term return to work, I think, can be highly insulting. Um, and I think people are demanding more of work now. Um, and part of that conversation is workplaces have responsibility to maybe not necessarily improve well-being, but at least not make it worse. Yeah. Do you feel like there is kind of a switch? So the way I think of there's two type of workers, and obviously I could be completely flawed, but there's people who uh, just punch the clock 
and obviously these are some people who don't have like their passion like some people who are just like nothing against these people but insurance claims adjusters like uh mm -hmm. people who restock the grocery store stuff that's not like what you want to be when you grow up those mm -hmm. people i feel like are punching the clock to support like their weekend their children their hobbies stuff like that and then there's other high like desire positions like the people who wanted to be neurosurgeons the people running um their small businesses the people the the artists like those people do you feel like those are the people who are obviously this is up to them since it's their passion but that the four day work week is is better for those people who it's not their passion to the people who are I guess the more hours they spend they think that they're they're pushing to something greater mm -hmm. do you see that like between passion and punching yeah. the clock type people I can definitely see your 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 thoughts process behind that I think for me actually um no my my outright answer but for different reasons so I think with um maybe service line industry jobs where people aren't finding their passion with it within work there's a few different things I want to touch on there so there's a huge discipline of positive psychology uh, and there's a, an, a famous academic Mahali Csikszentmihalyi who conceptualized this term called flow so people can experience it uh, can experience a psychological phenomenon known as flow in their day-to-day -day work or in their day-to-day -day lives and what Mahali uh, confirmed was that actually didn't it didn't matter what profession you were in it all mattered about how work was set up and your own level of self-exploration and trying to find a way of enjoying your own work so he did he found neurosurgeons experiencing flow within their work and he found people who were at grocery checkouts experiencing flow within their work so actually for those people it's a it's an element of self-exploration in actually saying okay well I'm stuck in this circumstance right now what is it that I actually what motivates me generally what makes me happy in life and how can I seek out those sort of experiences in my environment second to that the environment needs to allow people to explore in that sort of way so leaders within those sort of industries often struggle with motivating staff and it's because they have this assumption that their staff are lazy um, versus the another theory which says their staff you know have motivations I just need to tap into whatever those motivations are and so that's a huge theory within management called theory x or theory y how leaders view their staff will ultimately determine how they conduct their leadership style amongst those type of people but a four-day week can be really good for for staff in that sector for a few reasons first of all if you can't find your purpose in in work and maybe you won't maybe it's not an easy thing to do it requires a huge amount of self-reflection um, and maybe you're you were in this work in order to try to get to somewhere else or maybe work just isn't for you it's not for everyone um how do you create space outside of work then to find those moments of happiness and recovery and joy and so there's a theory called self-determination theory which is that intrinsic motivation within people which is the type of motivation we all want people doing things because they like it is facilitated when people experience three things autonomy relatedness and competency so they feel that they ha have autonomy over their own behaviors they feel that they can connect to other people and they feel competent in what they do when you give people more time off outside of work first of all they have more autonomy because they have more time second they are much more likely to engage and connect with their families or with their communities so they get that relatedness and thirdly they may take up a different activity which allows them to perceive a, self, a level of self-efficacy or competency so automatically you can make your staff don't have to be happy in work but that will translate because they have had more time to be happy outside of work the second uh, core that you mentioned maybe those people who are already very intrinsically motivated um so they are constantly driving for more and more and more those people are also at high risk for burnout all the time and there's not sufficient safeguards put in place professions to stop those people from tipping themselves over to the edge and I include myself within this category you know having worked within academia which is one of those professions you talk about there is a bounteous amount of time which work can be done but you need to learn yourself when enough is enough um, and sometimes people don't have that internal barometer you find a lot of perfectionists and overachievers and unrelenting standards people end up in these sort of jobs so actually the organization needs 
to have a duty of care to put in safeguards to stop people from burning themselves out, in, I think, in those instances, because what we're trying to do in 40 a week is redefine the parameters of what success looks like. Success is not more time. Success is quality output. And if a lot of the performance science is showing us that you look at any elite, elite performance industry, aviation, sport, they all factor in the importance of recovery and rest in order to get quality performance. So that's the kind of narrative we're, we're trying to create with those sort of cohorts as well. No, that sounds good. Uh, quick question before I move to my other one, before I forget, do you practice what you preached? Do you try to work that? I know I, it's funny. I'm like, can mm -hmm. he still do that? Like you said, you've got so many places around the world that you're working with. Can you still do that or try to do that? Yeah. So, and look, I think it's important that we as an organization practice what we preach. So we are, as we consult and advise companies on four day week, I'm also applying that to our team to say, okay, well, how do we improve our processes, our technology, our leadership, our culture, all these things that we know help facilitate reduced working time. And then we've got those added variables of being highly dispersed um, and high age range, 25 to 62 or 63 in age range. So you have all these variables at play and we're constantly experimenting. We have not got it right, but we are constantly in pursuit of it. So for me, my staff all um, take four day weeks. Some weeks there are busier weeks than others of which they will have to come and maybe work a bit longer and then they will compensate that for it in other weeks. Uh, me personally then, there have been, I'm constantly deliberate about reducing my own working time. So if I, I will decline meetings, I will, you know, um, offload as much of my work as I possibly can. And so actually four day week, global stuff I can complete within four days because I'm extremely conscious of it um, and I'm only having only do that because I've gone through the experience in the past of burning out and having to recover from that journey um, it just so happened that I also took on a lecturing role in a, in a graduate business school when I joined this organization they happened both at the same time so on my fifth day I wasn't doing four day week global stuff but I actually was was creating lecture content and doing lecturing so for me, that actually, that's a passion. Exactly. It, it was it was a slightly it was different uh, and it was something I really enjoyed. And it was actually recovery from from the other type of work that I was doing. But actually, for the rest of the summer now, um, the lecturing has finished and I am being extremely deliberate around no work on Fridays um, for the foreseeable because there's no reason for me to do it. I know what I feel like when I don't do it. And I know I'm not performing to the best of my abilities. So yeah, it's it's a challenge, but it it and it requires active effort constantly. And the more I do it, the easier it's getting. Sounds great. Uh okay. Can you give me, if you can talk about it, your best story? that you kind of change someone who's like 40 hours is not enough in the week type person to completely seeing the light? There's been so many of them. Um, I don't, I can't get, call out one example in particular, but I think you look at the more traditional sectors that have, you know, have a history and culture of overworking. And I always think it's amazing when we can get them around to, to thinking, you know, the benefits of it. So we've had banking industries, we've had professional services, we've had sales industries, you know, where everything is, the the motivation is actually driven by this competition between staff um, in order to produce more, more revenue. And so when I've seen examples of those sectors come on and say, oh, wow, you know, the science, I get it now, the science of performance, work hard, rest, uh, work hard, you know, it just makes a lot more sense than be present all the time, putting in a subpar effort. Um, and that, that motivates me a lot. I think and a second one of my own passion is is making this work in healthcare because um, we have a huge global healthcare crisis at the moment with regards to staff shortages. So in the past, people used to just go from one healthcare um, setting, say in Ireland, to Australia um, for better working conditions. What's happening now is people are leaving healthcare altogether. So they are training up as physios and nurses and doctors and then actually going into the private sector um, in professional services or, or wherever else. So if we don't actually train and retain enough healthcare staff, society is in a really, you know, precarious position. So 
burnout has been in high existence in these sort of sectors for a long time and it was really exacerbated by COVID. So we have been able to work with some healthcare settings, some um, trusts of the NHS within the UK and also some um, healthcare settings in the US as well on actually showing them, yes, you can actually do shorter working hours. And yes, while you have to provide continuity of patient care 24 hours a day, you know, there are models that can work. And for some, that might mean hiring more staff, not denying that. But actually, when you look at the, the macroeconomic uh, costs, you are saving money because what's happening at the moment is there's not enough staff. Agency staff are having to come in um, to, to offset, offset the, the minimum viable structure. Agency staff cost about three or four times as much as full-time staff. Um, you would then have huge staff sick leave and absenteeism of current staff, particularly as the, the number gets lower and lower. Staff are expected to come in more and more. They're getting sick. They're leaving. So actually, I really like healthcare and, and figuring out how, how it works in healthcare because at, at a very fundamental level, you're like, oh, well, it's going to cost us more. But actually, it's an investment that returns you know, huge um, benefits for the organization and its people at the end of the day. Yeah. Because the other thing I would imagine is you, uh, I, I work at a company where uh, I have to worry about hiring. I'm not in the hiring process, but it's more like making sure we keep good people. And the fact that if you can make it more enjoyable every week, a big thing is turnover. I mean, if I can keep these people, let's say for at least five years, five years would be amazing. and the process of finding good people and then retraining in them. And if you have to do that every, let's say six months, that, that takes a lot of time out of a lot of people's, um, uh, the people who could actually be working, who've been there for longer, who have, who know how it works. And then there's the time that took for training. So if you're able to make it like at least a little bit more enjoyable where people see a place at the company long-term, and that they actually care about their workers, kind of mental health, physical health, that they're actually recovering, like you say, it makes mm -hmm. a lot more sense where, let's see how much, this is going to sound bad, let's see how much work we can get out of these people every week and see how long they last. They see them kind of more like, like you would say burnout, but more like batteries that they have to recharge when they get down to zero rather than, let's say, 30%, which is how you're supposed to recharge batteries not when they go all the way down to 100 or zero but it's 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 that leadership's assumption that people are like machines you know uh human energy doesn't work in that sort of way it's not as easy as being able to plug something into a wall and recharging it in two hours when people get to zero energy it takes a long time to recover back from that so it's a much more sustainable way to to get people um you know similar to how an electric car works you know you you allow it to pause on regular intervals you conserve energy and you can get a lot more out of them um over a longer period of time that's a much more scientifically based approach to performance management than the current ways of which we do performance management within work and that is one of the main reasons why organizations come onto a four-day week you know this the findings are becoming more and more irrefutable that retention and talent um is is one of the key costs for organizations at the moment and despite a huge amount of investment by organizations in things like mental health and um, things like talks and you know yoga classes and all these sort of window shopping wellness as i like to call it and um, they're not getting to the root cause of the issues that are, are burdening their staff's um mental health and so actually from my four-day week is tapping into something um the issues that are underlying a lot of those causes and i think that's why we are seeing huge retention um, and attraction of talent within companies that are implementing that. And on a on a more personal, do you feel like your degree you ever try to include that in? Like, like for example, I'm not sitting upright in my chair, or like just like anything from your PT uh, college days. Do you feel like you incorporate anything into that? Well, so I think with with uh, with physical therapy what it taught me was the importance of public health so actually those lifestyle factors around sleep and exercise and diet and um stress management they're the sort of things which i try and carry with me into my day-to-day -day life and you know by a four-day week you're actually improving all those sort of things as well people feel less tired they're more 
physically active, they eat better. This is the whole science behind that. Um, it's actually less so my physical therapy degree as opposed to my PhD, which was in behavioral sciences. I draw hugely from, from that. So a lot of those theories that I talked about uh, today is theories that I applied on surgeons in my research. And, you know, it, it, it shows me the importance of actually, we're talking about high performance cultures in so many organizations. And there's a complete um, disconnect if your workforce has a high level of burnout. So there is what organizations say they are and want to be versus what's happening in reality. And I'm always looking to try and bridge that gap, you know? So if you want high performance, you can't have high burnout. Okay. And thinking in my, in my view of, let's say, U.S. Uh, CEOs, I think the higher up the CEO and obviously the more layers to it and the greater amount of people they have to worry about specifically like if they're public company and they have to worry about I feel like public companies always have to bend to the shareholders in the end and do you feel like CEOs who have to worry about that specifically they're more considering their employees as like we were talking about batteries that drain down to zero rather than actual human beings do you feel like those are the people that are the hardest to take on the four day work week. Yeah. And there's actually a whole emerging science of behind this is the kind of science of well-being. And so I think one of the biggest questions that academics are trying to disentangle at the moment is can you have a staff that has good well-being when the organization's primary focus is to drive profit? And I would my initial thought is no, um, because if if the end game making money is all that matters, you will do whatever it is to try and facilitate that. And that might include running your staff into the ground. But actually what the science is showing is that organizations that that do invest in the human resource transformation of their staff can access more um, productivity and performance from them that they've never realized before. And so actually, you know, the old paradigm of, of work hard, you know, and earn loads of money, um, we know that it's a trial and tested methodology. It works for driving profit, but a huge consequence for, for many people within the organization and a huge consequence for society as a whole. A lot of these organizations that make huge money aren't necessarily making a positive impact on society. So the alternative is actually to say, okay, well, science is showing us that if our staff get enough rest, they will actually come in and they'll perform better and we can improve our processes, improve our culture, improve our leadership, and actually create a high level of performance that we, you know, we've never tried before. And that actually translates across to the bottom line as well, and in a much higher way. Um, so I think one of the fundamental things is getting people away from thinking of time as the arbitrary productivity metric to output. Quality output is the is the metric of which is driving profit within organizations. And that's a hard paradigm shift for organizations and particularly CEOs who have probably been indoctrinated within a system to think, you know, in a way. And the only method, this is the only way of which things can operate. But if anything, the last few years have shown us that things like flexible and hybrid working haven't been you know, the big, scary, bad intervention that many workplaces said they would be before the pandemic. So innovation is what will keep organizations ahead of the game. And this is human trans human resource transformation innovation at its core. Yeah, because I, I digged into, I guess, I don't know why I did this, but when I saw all these companies, Amazon, Microsoft, I mean, you could say the top maybe 20, 30 companies in the world, they were laying off thousands of people, obviously after COVID, just because they didn't have the numbers to support it anymore. It wasn't a mat it wasn't necessarily a matter that they didn't need the labor. It was the fact that their, I don't know the technical term, but it was basically the revenue over their number of employees wasn't good enough for the shareholders. And that's why they basically nixed a lot of those employees. It wasn't necessarily that they weren't needed. It was that it wasn't meeting the numbers on the spread, the the shareholder sheets. Look, I'm not going to pretend I know what it's like to run a huge organization. And I'm sure there are huge pressures to doing stuff like that. But I think time has shown again and again that cutting off staff doesn't necessarily always lead to organizational success. So, you know, there have been countless examples of people who say in tough times, they actually go to their staff and say, help, 
we are in you know a tough situation right now you're all capable well intelligent people help us what do we need to do in order to drive you know revenue and profit and growth within the organization and that requires innovation in thinking and that's hard work but it's necessary and often fruitful work the alternative is to take a simpler option and plug things into a an algorithm and lay off a certain amount of your workforce um and organizations will always differ in how they approach those sort of things but i think emerging generations gen z are expecting different things from work and so the future of work is is no longer this entire balance being led by employers the employee has now gained a level of authority uh, in the future of work that never existed before so i'm really interested to see how that plays out over the next few years yeah, speaking of the next few years, what do you we can we can treat this as in five years, where what's your white whale? What are you trying to get to? Obviously, there's no well, there might be to you, but who do you want to try to convert to that or what percentage of workforce? What what's your five year goal? Let's put it that way. Well, look, I mean I think that's pretty hard to measure on a global scale, but there are a few things that we're looking to try and do. So we have done trial and testing now in a lot of English speaking wealthy countries. And so I think, you know, we have started that conversation now and that needs to grow more and more over the next few years. And I think we are seeing governmental interest. I actually met with the Minister for Enterprise in Ireland yesterday. Um, we have, you know, the big four are getting wind and, and activating this you know, as potential offerings. So they see a marketplace for this and you will see large Fortune 500 companies coming out with uh, points of view and versions of a four-day week in the next five years i can guarantee that next is we need to be focusing on what it is that we're trying to do as a global movement so we we are starting to see the relationship between working hours and some of these more broader macroeconomic questions and so we need to be much um more deliberate in our pursuit of of trying to provide evidence to show that reduced working hours can help with the environment with equality with global health, uh, all those sort of things. And how we will do that is going to new jurisdictions. So we have our first pilot in South Africa, we have our first pilot in Brazil, and we'll be going into our first uh, Asian pilot later on this year. And we know that there are cultural nuances and differences in how working time exists within those societies. And what I'm really interested in is eventually getting to a point of where we can be sufficiently um, self-reliant to, to have these conversations growing authentically within many of the countries and then we can support countries where this conversation is much more in its foundations and supporting local campaigns to drive that conversation that's great i hope we get there so do i <laughs> so what is something that your parents did that you'd like to pass on to a next generation and on the other side of that, what is something that you'd want to do differently or new that your parents wouldn't necessarily uh, have done? Um, yeah, good question. So I think the first is probably the importance of, of education. So it was I was first generation college educated from my family. And, you know, I, did, I don't come from a wealthy background, um, but we have in Ireland had, you know, a rapid a growing economy which has allowed people to come from working class to middle class particularly from the 60s 70s and 80s so i benefited from that uh, and my parents have been able to invest in me and my sister's education which allows us to you know to, to be able to have the opportunities to do what we want to do with our lives so i think continuously investing in the importance of educating um your children is something that I, I would like to do, but not necessarily just through formal education, but through experiential learning um, in the world and building the importance of compassion and and understanding and, and cultural differences between people, because that's what the world needs more of right now is, is less segregation, more integration. Um, what I would do differently is probably um, not feed into the narrative that everything needs to be done so quickly in life so that you must complete this by a certain point and this by a certain point and achieve high marks and do you know follow the, the prototype of what success looks like because if anything I've learned over the last few years and with all the amazing people that I've met is that that is not the only journey to success there is many other paths to that and I would hope that you know my kids 
wouldn't feel that they need to conform to a certain approach that you know me and my wife will will do have done would have done um in order for them to to feel successful in their own lives that's great i like that one uh is there anything you want to promote obviously for for uh four day a week week but anything else no not really i think um if your listeners you know if you're interested in a topic 40 week global is our organization so please do you know reach out to us there's many ways to get involved and engaged whether it's through your organization trying to apply it but also we have an advocates network so if you simply want to be a person who is spreading this this conversation we can equip you with the knowledge and the resources to be able to to do that and uh, secondly i suppose is is we do need to just get a, away from this tokenistic conversation around well-being um because i think it's becoming increasingly toxic within within society so there are there are few and far um between you know talking about well-being in in an authentic um you know proper manner and i think the more of us that can do that and the better we all will benefit both within work and outside of work yeah what i've seen is i work in a company where we deal with stuff that's not really tangible and you can't really see it so it's hard to explain to clients and other people how you're actually protecting stuff so i completely understand how you're trying to get across even a a non-short-term goal of mental stability physical health that it's something that you can't oh i guess you can actually see because like maybe your workers in two months they're actually happy to come to work they're well rested they're even better they're they're making more of whatever you guys do at the factory it's something that you guys can actually see but they just need a little bit of uh what's that called uh a little bit of faith i was trying to remember what they say in the spider-man movie a little bit of hope as well i think it it is a huge uh challenge for leaders to embark on a journey like this but i think what you what needs to happen is it's a realization that if your workforce are not feeling good at the moment that's not good for your organization either so actually doing something about that and investing in an intervention that has an evidence base behind that is worthwhile um and just because it might not be the most standard thing across society to do at the moment doesn't mean you shouldn't try it um you know fortune favors the brave and i think that's what a lot of these front running companies who are trialing a four-day week are consistently saying to us so if you're always interested as well as leaders you know we do have a huge network of leaders who have done this before and putting you in touch with them is something that we can always facilitate as well yeah that sounds great uh well thank you very much for being on the show and and basically enlightened me i learned a lot more than i anticipated thank you michael thank you so much for having me yeah if you like this week's episode of people more interesting than me please follow me on apple podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these